Welcome to Rap Stories, a show where I get the background on some of my favorite albums of all time by the artists who made them. I'm your host, David Dennis Jr., and today I'm joined by Freddie Gibbs to discuss his album, Bandana. I've been listening to hip hop for 30 years now, and I can honestly say I've listened to more songs by Freddie Gibbs than any other artist ever, like by far. So trust me when I say this, I've never heard a bad Freddie Gibbs verse. I honestly don't think one exists, and it damn sure doesn't exist on Bandana, his masterful 2019 collaboration album with Mad Lib. Uh, I beat the pot like those beat Mike and what came my life, what came my thought, but they smoking the same. Uh. Back in 2009, I was in grad school at Northwestern University, aspiring to be a hip-hop journalist. I was writing for one of the dopest sites on the internet, The Smoking Section. The Smoking Section was a major part of the blog era, a time period where hip-hop websites were guiding the cultural landscape, sharing new music from the hottest artists, subverting record labels, and telling the world what was cool. It was around this same time that Gotti and TC, the Avon Barksdale and Stringer Bell of the smoking section, got their hands on a few tracks from a rapper living in LA named Freddie Gibbs. They shared the tracks with the rest of the crew one day, and the talent was immediately undeniable. Gibbs had this double time flow, this gravelly voice and conviction that made you feel like everything he said was his real life. Because it was. Everyone at the smoking section immediately became Team Freddie Gibbs. We wrote about his music, interviewed him for stories, and booked him for our South by Southwest shows. I even remember being at the Highline Ballroom back in 2010 to do a video feature on him for his first show in New York. It was incredible how innate his talent was even back then. We wanted Freddie Gibbs to win like we wanted ourselves to win, supporting his success as if it was our own. But that success didn't come easily. He had false starts and missteps, but he never stopped grinding. I was cheering for him and writing about him the whole way. I prayed for him when he was locked up overseas. I cheered for him when he returned home some months later. And when he linked up with Mad Lib for Bandana, I celebrated because I finally knew the world was going to see what I'd known for almost a decade. Nobody is rapping like Freddie Gibbs. He rapped about friendships going wrong, pontifications about politics and legislation, all while maintaining the authenticity we've come to love. The album sounds like someone who went to hell and back and lived to tell about it. He managed to salvage enough grit and fortitude over those difficult years to give us a collection of 15 bangers. Those tracks have the type of descriptive details, insane rap pockets, and relatable stories that were like a shot in the arm for the whole rap game. Bandana put the music world on notice. And here to discuss this incredible album with me is a man I've had the pleasure to watch rise in the ranks as one of rap's most formidable MCs. Someone's never seen a beat he can't go in on, and one of the realest dudes in the game and a homie from the smoking section days, Freddie Gibbs, welcome to Rap Stories. Man, thank you, man, for having me, man. Wow, it's great. That's absolutely <laughs> Hey, man, it's, it's, it's well-deserved, man. It's been, it's been crazy, you know, just watching this more than a decade and like you know the the growth the whole way and like like i said we um we both you know we were on the out in the streets trying to make it now we got kids and and, and old and, and and washed up so yeah man definitely old and washed up man i'm loving being old and washed up all right let's get in the show 
When was the last time you listened to Bandana in full? I probably listened to Bandana in full maybe 2020. I ain't listened to it in a while, honestly, because I've been working on so much music. You know, I don't really have time to double back and really listen to my music. I'll hear it in spurts and I'll perform songs at uh, at shows and, uh, you know, festivals and things of that nature. But for the most part, man, I'm always, you know, this this grind is always moving forward. I'm listening to these albums for, you got to understand, a year or two before you even hear it. So I'm making it. I, it's, it's, by the time it can be, it's already old to me. You know, I'm like, oh, you love that. Oh, good. Right. <laughs> By the time it gets to y'all, it's already old news to me. So I'm already moving forward mentally toward the next one, you know, because that's how I keep, you know, the people satisfied. I got to always, uh, you know, move forward creatively. But, you know, when I do get to go back and listen to it, man, I, um, it warms my heart because I'm just like, damn, I made that. You know what I mean? Like uh, Grammy night, I listened to Alfredo again. And I was like, wow, this guy nominated for a Grammy. That's crazy. And it really motivated me to make a triple X. Where were you when you first started putting pen to paper or first got in the booth saying, I'm, I'm about to make this follow-up to Pinata? When I made Pinata, I was still with CTE. I was with Young Jeezy, you know, while, during the time I was making that. So, like, I, like Bandana wasn't in the, in the foresight yet. I, I didn't know, because I didn't know how people were going to receive um, Kenyatta, and when they received it well, I was like, well, damn, I think I made, like, uh, in between that, I made, like, uh, Shadow of Doubt and uh, You Only Live Twice, you know what I mean, which projects that, you know, people love, but uh, I think that uh, I was, you know, going through so, you know, many things uh, personally, you know, that it was it was starting to really, it was affecting my music, and I wasn't, I think, uh, you know, in between Pinata and Bandana was a very <laughs> tumultuous time, I say, in, in my life. And, uh, you know, and I, and I was seeing it in my work and I was just like, man, I'm not locked in because I'm, you know, I got to like, I got to choose. You know, that was a, a turning point in my life. When I got out of, uh, when I got out of jail in, in Europe, I had to really make a decision. I was like, okay, am I going to be a, a rap artist? You know, am I going to go back to, you know, just being me, you know, and doing what I do, you know? And I, and I, and I was on the fence with that a lot because I was feeling like, you know, the, the rap game wasn't really showing me no love. You know, I was feeling underappreciated. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to the streets where they, where I'm appreciated, you know, <laughs> where I feel like somebody, where I feel like something, you know, where I feel like my presence means something, you know? I was really feeling like my presence wasn't meaning nothing in the rap game. And I was just like, all right, do I still want to do it? And, uh, you know, Lambo kept me, kept me locked in and focused. And uh, when we put out Bandana, we were like, all right, well, we want to try to, you know, Kenyatta deserves, you know, to, that, that deserves to be like on a major label. You know, this music can compete with, you know, top tier music. So we kind of wanted to do that. With bandana, bandana, really, bandana was kind of like the first thing that we experimented on a major label. We did that with uh, RCA, you know. We just didn't, you know. We 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 dibbled and dabbled in that experience. I'm not gonna say we loved it where we did it at, you know what I mean? But we we loved the product that we made. We knew that we made a classic. We just knew the people around us didn't know what to do with it. They they couldn't handle it. They didn't understand it. 
So, you know, we just made a shift and was just like, you know what, we just got to just, you know, continue to do things our way, you know what I mean, and take it back, you know, the independent route. And then we did that with Alfredo and got nominated for a Grammy. And, you know, I put, you know, the music industry, you know, at our feet. So it's like, you know, I had to really get to the point where I could call my own shots. But uh, I knew that I had to follow it up. Um, I had to follow Pinata up because it was, you know, it was, it was such an amazing piece of work. I just didn't want to get into the concept of part twos and, you know what I mean, trying to um, bring back, uh, you know, trying to, you know, uh, secure that same energy because I feel like I can't create new great energy. I, I hate when people do that, you know what I mean, in rap. So, you know, it's like, you know, I, I didn't want to be a one-trick pony. So uh, when I did, when I approached Bandana, I definitely approached it differently than the approach I made with uh, Kenyatta, for sure. But when I made Bandana, we was friends then. So it was just like, okay, now it's like, all right, like, I won a championship with you. Now I can go back to back with you, like Jordan Pip. You know what I mean? Pinata feels like, they're both incredible. Pinata feels like you rapping over Mad Lib Beats and like going in on Mad Lib Beats. Bandana feels like a collaborative, like he sort of more met you midway right. on this. And like, it felt like Mad Lib sort of came into your world just as much as you came into his. Is that so hard? Do you feel about it? Yeah, Bandana was the back to back. It was like, you know, it's harder to do a back to back. So it was just like, yo, we don't want to just, I didn't want to run the brand into the ground, you know? I didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Right. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, a lot of guys in the rap game had a bank broke, don't fix it mentality. That's why they be on, like, blah, 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 talk, street talk, part four, street park talk, part six. Like, man, I ain't even heard part one. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's right. just like, you know, I wanted <laughs> to keep, keep it sexy. I wanted to make a classic brand with this thing. I didn't want to just be, oh, yeah, let's just, you know, I didn't want this thing to sound, feel like a mixtape. I wanted this to feel like, a great body of work, you know, whenever I, whenever I link up with him, I want it to be special, you know? Where were you when the album actually came out? Like, what were you doing when it, when it came out? What was I doing when Bandana came out? I mean, I was probably changing diapers, honestly. I think my, uh, my son was uh, <laughs> just turning one. I think around that time, he was just turning one. You mentioned earlier this idea of not knowing what you want to do sort of career-wise. Is Bandana the end of where you started considering I'm in for the long haul in this and you sort of turn out, you know, look back on all that other stuff. Yeah, Bandana was it. It was like, all right, I feel like I'm a real rapper. I still feel underrated. I still feel like, because I felt like Bandana should have got nominated for a rap album in the year at the Grammys. You know what I mean? Like, that's just my personal opinion. But Alfredo did. You could definitely see the progression from that side of things. You know what I mean? I think that um, on that mainstream side, I'm definitely more well-known now than I was before. I, I don't necessarily care about that. I just really just want the respect and, you know what I mean, in the, in the proper compensation, you know what I mean, for what I do, you know, for the, for the things that I bring to the table, you know what I mean? When I'm gone, you know, nobody, you're going to look back on, on my career and be like, wow, it was nobody like him in the league. It was nobody like him in the, you know, in the game, you know? I definitely did things my own way, brought my own kind of flow, tailor-made concept to the rap game, you know what I mean? Um, it ain't nobody that you could like put over me and be like, yeah, Freddie Gibbs is the miniature version of him. You know what I mean? And if you're doing that, then you you got to be talking about guys like like Brad and you know what I mean? And Pac and, you know, like Jay-Z type right. of levels. You know what I mean? That's the type of, you can't like talk, you can't like put like, you know, nobody that ain't top tier above me. 
You know what I mean? You can't you can't compare me to nothing but right. but the greats. So, and that's what I want to stand on, you know. And that's and, and, and when I'm done doing this, that's what I want people to say because that's how I feel. How has that treatment changed within the industry and within fans, especially in the last couple of years? I think it's just the work I put in, man. You know what I mean? Pounding feet to the concrete. A lot of guys that's in the game that might have helped swing that narrative for me, like, you know, guys like Pusha T, who I love, admire, and respect, you know, it's one of the greats as well. Guys like that working with me, Killer Mike, Scarface, you know what I'm saying, uh, DJ Paul, you know, just working with guys like that have kind of like sort of raised my cachet in the industry a little bit to show people, show rappers that they ain't got to be afraid of me so much and they don't got to be feel so threatened. I think that right now I'm in a good space. You know, I'm definitely not here for everybody's uh, love. You know, the people that I respect, the people that I uh, patronize their music, you know, I love working with them. One of the themes that is really interesting to me, and, and it's through a lot of your music, is just like this idea of, you know, friendship and like losing friends, and especially like in this one, everybody talked about the, you know, the guy with the, you know, spending $200 to Jeezy's, you know, to give some shoes to Jeezy and, you know, you're not messing with him anymore. What is that like real life process of you of losing friends and like this industry and just like ha and people you grew up with? Like, what does that look like for you? Do you ever like, you know, tell them, hey, we're not friends anymore? Like, do you make them back? I'm so interested in these sort of interpersonal relationships that because you so you're so vocal about them in, in your career. There's a lot of things that come with growing up and, you know, being in, you know, from the ghetto, man, and we see you know, this big shiny job, this rap game, this, you know, this famous thing, you know, that none of us have never uh, experienced before. All of us can't handle it. People will say that you changed. Yeah, you definitely changed. That's a cliche kind of thing. Like, oh man, that, the rap game changed you, the money changed you, hell. Yes, it definitely does. You know what I mean? Um, there's certain things, certain people that I don't want to be around because I got to protect my own energy, you know? And that comes first. And, you know, if people don't understand you putting your own energy in yourself first, then, um, then maybe they shouldn't be around you. You know what I mean? And uh, maybe sometimes it's for the better because I'd be around each other if we got tension. You know what I mean? I think that I had always such a DIY mentality with everything I do. Me personally, I probably messed up a few relationships with friends that I grew up with just because I didn't want to blend my business with our friendship. You know what I mean? Like, you know, of course, your homie see you doing everything with, you know, the rap game stuff. And they're like, put me on, put me on, put me on, put me on. You know what I mean? Like, right. you get tired of the put me on stuff, you know, after a while. And everybody's not equipped to work at this job. You know what I mean? Like, I got homies that's mailmen, homies that's barbers, homies that's, you know, doing whatever. I don't go to their job and be like, hey, put me on. Hey, give me this for free. <laughs> hey, do this for me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't hit you up and be like, hey, write you know what I mean? So I just feel like this job that we're in is, is, is too welcoming to everybody. Everybody feel like they get into some kind of way, whether they want to be, whether they want to rap, whether they want to be a DJ, whether they want to manage, whether they want to do something, or they just want to just be a guy that's just getting groupies and doing nothing, smoking weed. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like everybody wants to be around this. And when you tell them that they can't be around this in certain capacities, you know what I mean? It can drive them to not like you. It can drive them to hate you. You know what I mean? And that's just the, the you know, the the music industry side of things. You know what I mean? Like, you got to think about, you know, it's guys in the street that don't like you because, you know, maybe you took over their trap. Right, <laughs> Walk right, the track right. and take over their trap. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe you got an old beef from something that you forgot about. 
you know, something that you ain't even thinking about. Like, man, I knocked him upside his head and took his pack like six years ago. You right. know, he went to jail and was thinking about that the whole time he was in jail. You know what I mean? But then now when he comes out of jail, I'm a rapper. He's still this. You know what I mean? So him shooting me or doing something to me is a big thing because I, I've progressed and he has it's so many ways in this thing man, that you got to protect your energy, you know what I mean, coming from the street. With all of that said, you are going to lose some friends, you know. You're not going to make everybody happy doing this thing. And, you know, it's treacherous. The game is treacherous. You know, my dad told me, man, everybody that got to the top stepped on somebody. I hate it, that it's, I hate it but it's true. Right. Mm. And he didn't mean that in a way like, oh, you got to be a grimy person. You got to be treacherous. You got to have bad energy. Like, what he meant by that is on your journey, you're going to hurt some feelings. Right. You're going to break some hearts. You might break your own heart. You know, you might disappoint yourself and have to redeem yourself. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, man, I got to do my job, take care of my kids and be right with God. So really, I don't focus on who likes me, who still likes me, who wants to be my friend. I could care less. You know what I mean? Like my son ain't got to be my friend. You know what I mean? <laughs> but he got he to gotta respect me up in here, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, I got to stand on what I believe. And, and I'm going to always do that, you know, regardless of, you know, who walks in and out that revolving door of your life. You know what I mean? You got to you know keep doing what you got to do. I got to be, like I said, I got to be a mantle, a staple for my children. As long as they respect me and look up to me, like nothing else really matters to me. I think another theme is that, I mean, I think people sort of underestimate how smart you are a lot of times. They sort of characterize it as like, you just solely talking about things on the street level. But I mean, on this album, you got like, you take a few bars and talk about Obama policies and then you're talking about like history and stuff. What were you reading when you were making this album and how were you educating yourself? I try to stay current, you know what I mean? And current events type of things. Really, when I was making that album, I was reading like Tennessee Coates. Between the World and Me. Yeah, I was reading, I read that. I was reading um, uh, Gil Scott Heron, uh, Autobiography. So, you know, I'm always picking up some kind of information, whether it's in a book or some kind of way. Or it could be just a, a thread. I could read a thread on Twitter that could be about a certain subject. It's a lot of things that uh, I'll take in information-wise, you know what I mean? I'm not here to push a, you know, a, a geo-neo-political position on anybody. I want people to understand that there's, you know, things in the world that aren't what they seem. It's you know, like me rapping from a Black man's standpoint. You know, I'm rapping from a position of somebody whose family is only three or four generations removed from being, you know, sharecroppers, slaves. Right. One thing I, would, I definitely do want to talk about on the album is your own personal religious journey. There's a lot of that discussion of where you sort of grew up religiously with your, your family stuff and where sort of you landed now. Like, talk about that and talk about how you express that, especially here. You know, definitely, uh, I grew up, I guess you would say, you know, family was Baptist or whatever, Christian or whatnot, and getting around certain guys in, in the street and learning different things and different literature and things just, you know, it moved me toward, you know, the Islam side of things. And I started going to the Nation of Islam Mosque, you know, and, and rotating with a lot of those brothers and a lot of the guys, like I said, in the street uh, with that same type of uh, uh, doctrine or whatnot. So, I mean, you know, I think that the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, man, just, you know, got a, got a whole lot of different kind of concepts and, and another thing that led me into that into the teachings was dick gregory i remember dick gregory speaking at my high school okay uh-huh. uh my graduation and he spoke so highly of the honorable elijah muhammad you know that i had to i had to go into it you know what i mean i had to dig into it you know what i mean so 
you know, those teachers definitely really helped shape me as an adult, as a man. You know, I wouldn't be who I am without them. One thing before we dig into the album a little bit more, there's a lot of talking here about you overcoming codeine addiction on the album, which, you know, the concept of just overcoming addiction at all is just incredible that people can do that. That like the the fortitude right. that it takes, like I'm sure as you know, like, you know, God has spoken, the spoken sex sort of started out of Gotti's sobriety, you know, and things like that. Talk to me sort of what, you know, getting over that addiction, talking about it, rapping about it, and what that meant for you. I never really had a problem with drugs until like the opiate thing, you know. My cousins in Memphis and Mississippi and, you know, that they turned me on to the sipping of the syrup and all of that type of thing, you know, and, and it was, you know, I don't want to call it cool, you know what I mean? But it, 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 was, it was part of a, a culture that I was involved in. It was part of a drug culture. I was selling it at one point. Once you start drinking, it's like you got to sell a lot of it to supply your habit, you know what I mean? Like, matter of fact, rest in peace to my homeboy, Doe Burger. Out here in LA, man, like we, me and him used to get gallons of syrup, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and sip all day long and, and sell it and hustle it. And, you know, it was a thing. Like I said, it was a culture. It's crazy. I was telling my homeboy, hey, I got close homies that I, I sip with on a daily DJ, Chicago kid, uh, Danny Brown, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> we were all in that world and we was all making music. And that was just, like I said, that was part of, that was like our studio habit. The thing that made me kind of like uh, realize, I was like, you know what? I can't be on this. When um, Erica was pregnant with my first daughter, I, I was like, I can't be asleep trying to take care of my kids. I can't be high or incapacitated while I got a child in here. So I had to make the decision and kind of get that up, you know, as a man. I didn't want a, my daughter coming in here like, why is all these baby bottles of medicine <laughs> in, the, in the house? So, you know, I didn't want to get that uh, view of me to my children. So I kind of like let that go. I know a lot of people say it's part of the creative process. Do you have to sort of relearn that, the creative process when you were not doing that anymore? Yeah, I was over it. I wasn't really uh, sick when I was making bandana. But my daughter was born in 2015. I think I really stopped drinking uh, syrup around that time. But uh, yeah, uh, I definitely, I mean, I can't say I had a clear mind because I was, <laughs> you think about things like this, when I mean, one addiction kind of comes another. I was reading Miles Davis' autobiography. And he was talking about how Charlie Bird Parker, famous jazz musician, he was like how he'd be uh, so strung out on heroin and then he got off. And when he got off, he started drinking alcohol heavy. You know what I'm saying? So, and I felt that with me. Like when I got off serve, I was like, oh man. Then the era of like, all right, yeah, we got money. Let's order 10 bottles to the section. You know what I mean? Like once the syrup, Drinking air for me stopped. Then there was the 10 bottles of 1942 to a section era, you know what I mean? So then the drinking kind of picked up a little heavier, you know what I mean? And, you know, then, you know, I'm not going to say I got into the alcohol as heavy as the syrup, but, you know what I mean? Um, you know, the alcohol can use some treacherous nights as well. I think being a father just gave me a different kind of focus. The clarity is definitely there. And uh, I'm thankful for that. Everything I went through, I could look back on it you know, give another youngster some insight on that. The Guardian and other places call this a rap classic. And, you know, as I mentioned before, this sort of got the the world sort of going to, you know, thinking about you in in terms of that Grammy stuff. Like, when did the Grammy thing start to become a reality to you? When were you starting to think about it as a possibility? 
Uh, probably when I made Bandana, and it was like up for consideration, but didn't get nominated. And I was highly disappointed, highly disappointed. So, and I took that disappointment and just made Alfredo, because I was just like, I don't even care no more. I'm not even gonna make an album for the Grammy committee or whoever listening. I don't even care. And me not caring, they nominated me, and I was like, okay. Right, right. <laughs> so now I care, but I don't care. You know what I mean? Because like I know I could do it. I know I'm good enough to be there. So if you put me there, thanks. You know, if you don't, then it's your loss. I feel like. And and in this put bandana as sort of like the certified nobody could say this isn't a classic, right? But like I say, I've listened to all the way back to Miseducation, Freddie Gibbs, like all these albums. Wow. And I feel like there are so many great works of art. Like how I'm putting you on the spot there. How many cl- classics does Freddie Gibbs have under his belt? Wow. I would say about at least, and I'm being generous, I'd say about at least four. All right, give them to me. What are they? What you got? Which ones? Alfredo, Bandana, Kenyatta, and Triple S. Okay. All right. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. I think those are my most focused albums. You know, if I had to look at, you know, all the stuff that I look back and be, I'm like, yeah, that's probably my most focused stuff I've ever done musically. So, yeah, I would say, yeah, those four records uh, cut through, you know what I mean? And I needed all four of those to make, I, mean, I needed the first three to make the last one. So the first three was a boot camp to me, so. I agree. I think I'll, I'll probably add a couple early, you know, to me, the early mixtapes are just like. I love BFK. I love all of that stuff. I don't even think that I was a good rapper yet. Really? I think that I was just decent. I was just decent. I wasn't even good enough yet. Like, I was just in a shadow of a doubt. And I was like, man, I had so much room for improvement on here. Go ahead and improve. I was like, all right, let me just improve. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I can look back at my stuff and grade my own work. And be like, yeah, I didn't do what I was supposed to do right here. Or I didn't do as good as I can do now. And when you got that, in the back of your mind and you can't do nothing but get better. You know, I think that it's really nobody this late in their, no rapper this late in their career uh, made their best project, you know, I'm still making their best project. You know what I mean? So uh, I think that I'm still progressing and I can do this for a long time. Like, you know, I don't even look at myself as, I don't even look at myself as in the rap game. I look at myself as like, I'm totally something different. I'm like, I'm on my own way. I'm like Grateful Dead or something like that. I'm like Jerry Garcia. You know what I'm saying? That's how I look at myself in terms of where I want to take my music and where it can go and the longevity of it. Like, what did you need to improve on? Like, what did, what are the things that you listened back in those early days and you're like, I need to get better doing this? Breath control, timing, concept, when, when to say stuff, when not to say things, what beats to pick. Man, concepts, you know, just never getting dull, staying sharp, being a better musician, picking better music, just overall being versatile. I feel like when guys want to stop getting good at this, that's when they fall off. I want to keep getting better. I want to look back. I look back, like you said, I grade bandana and all of that stuff. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I was one of the, some of the sharpest I've ever been on those albums. That's why I call those classics. So I want to get back and stay on that level, you know. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the most memorable studio moment where you make a bandana? Mm, that's crazy to think about. Because, like, the only thing that I think about in the studio while I was making bandana is just going downstairs in the break room and just talking to Nipsey. Because while I was recording bandana, he was recording Victory Lap. It's crazy. We never make a song. And it's weird because, like, I'm like, damn, we was, you know, on the freshman cover together. Me and him, I had a long conversation about things that wouldn't even have nothing to do with music. You know what I mean? We'd just be talking about the streets forever, for a long time. And I never leaned on him about it, and he never leaned on me about doing no music because we just, that wasn't our relationship. Our relationship wasn't an industry relationship. It wasn't a music relationship. I didn't need no music from him to be cool with him. And he didn't need no music for me to be cool with me. When we always saw each other, it was always respect. But when I think about Bandana, that's all I really think about is Nipsey because the studio aspect of it, at least because we was both in Paramount at the same studio. When I take a break, you take a break, we'd be outside sitting on the bins, chilling, smoking, and just, you know, talking about life, you know, or in the little kitchen area, eating, whatever, just shopping about life, you know. We'll listen to each other's shit and go back and do our own thing, you know? But we just didn't even, we just didn't do a song. It wasn't because we ain't fuck with each other. It was just because timing. And, and, and we was both just super locked in. And it just didn't happen. That you're willing to share. What, what is the, sort of the most sort of memorable conversation y'all had during that time? He was explaining to me something about the train, like the LAX train and how it stopped in the South. He was explaining to me something about that. Right. And I was like, yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, the stuff he was telling me, like, he was making, like, a, a coding thing for girls. Like, all like everything that he was saying, it was, I was listening to that. And I was just like, right. Nigga, uh-huh. Yeah, right. How the right. fuck are you going to do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> what, what do you mean? Like, all right, whatever. And then, like, the last, you know, year of his life, right. like, mm-hmm. all that stuff happened. And I was just like, yo, Nip really was speaking these things into existence. Everything right. that he said he was going to do, he did it. You know, he did it. You know what I mean? Grammy, all of that, did it. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, man, I hate it that he's not here no more to, you know, to, to you know, imagine where he'd be right now. One of the stories, I think, from the from the album that you mentioned, you, you said hip hop came in the studio at one point. I was talking about Jay Z. Yeah, tell me about how that sort of impacted you. You're that competitive side. I love Jay Z. I got this hat on because Jay Z wear these hats, right? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. So, uh, <laughs> um, with that said, you can't come in my session talking about no other rapper. <laughs> uh-huh. Can't come in my session talking about how great this other rapper is. I know Jay Z great. That that remain that that don't got to be said. Like, and this thing of hip-hop was just 
talking about that too much. Like, oh, Jay-Z would have did it like this. And I'm like, so? You know, I was on one that day. Right. And he, uh, and I just went in and just, I'm like, I could do this too. You know what I'm saying? So I thank him for that. He really challenged me to do that. Thank Jay-Z for that too, man. Because, you know, he make everybody raise their level of skill. What's the weirdest thing about Mad Lib? <laughs> How long we got? <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Oh, the weirdest thing about Madlib, man. I mean, Madlib is in his own world, man. Like, he says nothing weird about him, but it's definitely eccentric. I mean, he might not. I ain't think Madlib was going to show up to Coachella. Okay. But uh-huh. the mystique around him, I think that's what makes him great. He makes me want to be more mysterious, too. I wouldn't say he's weird. I'd say he's very mysterious. Right. He made me want to be the same way. The Mad Lib beats are so unorthodox, and your flow is all about getting in pockets. What's the process of listening to that and then actually putting that pen to paper on a Mad Lib beat? At first, it was difficult because, like, I didn't really know Mad Lib like that. And, like, around that time, I was with, like I said, I was with Jeezy when I got introduced to Mad Lib. So, of course, when I was playing it for him, not saying that Jeezy didn't respect it, but when we was rapping on Shorty Red and and things of that nature, you know what I'm saying? So... When I would bring that in the studio, they'd be like, what? You know what I'm saying? So it was just foreign to what I was around. So I had to buckle down and block out the noise of the guys behind me and just be like, oh, well, I'm about to make this because this is what I want to make, you know? And that's what it was. So what song has aged the best? Hmm. Like Crime Pays. Crime Pays and... Man, you know what the thing about, like you said, man, the thing about having a classic album is having things that that don't age, right. that stay, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I go listen to Me Against the World like it came out yesterday, you know, because that music still speaks to me. That music is forever relevant because it's classic, you know? Um, I think that whole album is going to age well, you know what I mean? I think the fact that, I, you know, I don't really worry about things aging because I'm, like, going outside and I still got, like, 14-year-old fans. Mm-hmm. And I ain't have to do the same type of music that, you know, little baby do to get those young fans. You know what I'm saying? Right. Everything can live. He can do what he do. I can do what I do. Everything can exist and, and progress, you know? What do you think makes forever music? What are the components of making forever music? It's mm, a good question. Because you always got to satisfy a new audience. Um, I think that uh, if you just stick to the root, you know what I mean? Like, I was raised on music. I wasn't raised on rap. Okay. You know what I mean? I was raised on Temptations, uh, Rick James, and Smokey Robinson. Things like that. You know what I mean? Like, you know where you come from, and you'll always be able to know where you're going. You'll always be able to keep it. You know what I mean? Because those concepts will never die. Oh, and as long as they're inside of me, they won't die. I got to put them inside uh, the minds of, you know, the next, you know, and I, it all keeps going, you know, progression. Is Bandana perfect album? And if not, like, what are some that like you think about that could have made it even better than it was? It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Or if there's even a little small part that like drives you crazy about it. I think it's perfect. I mean, well, you could have put a Jay-Z on it or J. Cole or something like that. (laughs) Uh Mm. A feature. Mm-hmm. That's it. But I think I think I did what I had to do with those. You know, I, that's why I named those four projects because I walked away with those with no regrets. Were there features or anything that you wanted on the album that didn't actually make it or, or anything like that? Um, nah. 
everything that comes on the cutting board for me usually goes on the album. It's not too much wasted motion when it comes to my album. Okay. I don't really have a lot of throwaways or stuff that didn't make it. You know what I mean? Like everything pretty much makes it. <laughs> Maybe, you know, uh, I, I didn't have no verse that I left off or anything of that nature. So yeah, everything pretty much went on there. You know, it wasn't too much fat to cut. Now that I think about it, everything was just booming. Everything was connected when we was recording it or, or I didn't record it. Was there a beat that you heard or a song that they had to convince you to make? Nah, not on that album. Nope, not at all. Mm-mm. It was easy. Everything that they were doing was just coming. Boom, boom, boom. I think the biggest B-side question that everybody has that I get asked is the Killer Mike verse. People say, where's Killer Mike's verse? Because I think people maybe think that one was recorded or something on Palm Olive. Was there a verse? Killer Mike recorded that with Madlib or something like that. And Mad, I, I remember Madlib got the vocals first. And uh, I think he just made it into that. He repeated that part and made it into a hook. You know I mean? If he did do a verse, but the way I got it, it was the way it was. Okay. So I was just like, all right, it sounds great. Right. So we made we made the best concept. Killer Mike voice, they carried the song. So we needed them on there longer than just a verse. We needed them through the whole thing. Right. You know, he needed to carry the song. He was the song. And talk about you and Pusha T's chemistry a little bit, too. He was just on the latest album, and I think you two are just like, I wanted Freddie Gibbs' Pusha T album all the way, but, like, you guys just make just beautiful music. I talk about that. And you smile like you made, you know, Y'all may be doing one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put out, you know, say y'all are and just put it in the world and hope it happens. That'll be glorious. But um, right now, uh, you know, shit, he's one of my favorite rappers. You know what I mean? So it's always good to rap with him. That definitely tests your level of skill. We can rap with Pusha T. So I'm never opposed to doing records with Pusha T. That's love. I love him. love what he stands for. If we do do a record, like I said, that'll be glorious. That'll be great. That'll be a big check. So I'll take it. But, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, man, that that's amazing. Guys like this, you know, it's probably like five guys I do out. You know, what I mean, he definitely one of them. I need the whole five now. So, oh, I mean, I can't tell you that. <laughs> I can't tell you that. No, but um, I'm gonna do an album with DJ Paul. Okay, wow. I'll do an album with him. I'll do an album with Rick Ross. Okay. Somebody said I should do an album with Tyler Creator. I will. Yeah. Yeah. I will do all kind of projects with all of these guys. I love these guys. So I mean, like. That being said, out the way, the chemistry is already there because we got the respect. One of the things that's sort of interesting is, is obviously right now the thing in the news is the rap on trial, lyrics on trial stuff, and they're locking folks up and using their lyrics against them. And, you know, in the album and through your career, you are very, you know, you make sure that you tell stories but you also got to think about the ramifications of telling those stories. You know, obviously you have the story with your uncle and things like that. And, like, talk to me about that process and, like, how much thought of all that comes in your mind. And how do you tell a story that's raw without, you know, feeling like you're telling too much? You know, man, my life's been an open book, you know, my whole career. I ain't really got nothing to hide about it. But at the same time, you know, you definitely don't want to get prosecuted. Right, right. (laughs) Or anything. I think that uh, I've uh, did my best to change my ways, redefine myself, you know what I mean? And, and just get away from that whole, you know, street thing and street image. But we can't get away from the fact that, you know, we use these street images to sell our rap. These companies that we signed to, they don't want good, refined, educated Freddie Gibbs to follow. They don't want that on the record. They want Gangsta Gibbs, the drug dealer, the gangbanger, you know. 
They want that. They don't want, you know, they don't want me holding my kids. Right. They don't want me rapping about my wife like Chance the Rapper. They want me to rap about shooting something, selling something, serving something. That's what they want because I just look at it like a Scarface movie or something like that, man. Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, I look at it like Rambo at this point. It's like, you know, yeah, my life involved all of that stuff. But when I'm making an album, it's like, I'm, you know, it's like acting. I'm just like making a movie. You know what I mean? So let me make a new movie to sell to the people, to entertain them. At the end of the day, it's entertainment. And I got to treat it as such. Right. I mean, you got a line about your dad running over somebody. And I was like, man, <laughs> I want that. I want that whole story. <laughs> I want the whole, the whole yeah. background. That. He ran over my dad. He uh, had a motorcycle. And uh, there's a guy in our neighborhood named Ed. Shout out to Ed. <laughs> Ed a good guy. But uh, my dad uh, ran Ed over with his motorcycle. And, like messed his hand up. <laughs> uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? And like permanently messed him up. You know what I mean? And I love Ed, but you know that was just an unfortunate situation. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully he forgive my dad for it. But he gave me hell about it as a kid growing up. So, do you think that you are rapping about? essentially PTSD and do you think that that's something that is manifesting sort of like how you grapple with your music? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. We only talk about PTSD from a standpoint of like military, like you got to go to the army, you got Right, right. You got to go to Afghanistan or something like that to have PTSD. No, you don't. Same guns that they shoot in Afghanistan, we got those right on my block. Right. Those same gunshots get heard by black babies every day. You know what I mean? So for people to be like, oh, you, you know, yeah, that's not PTSD. That's not the serious. That's very serious. You know, um, like me personally, I probably have seen at least over 10, you know, murders. You know what I mean? Like in the open, you know what I mean? Like in my lifetime, you know, probably before high, but probably before I graduated. You know what I mean? So, you know, that alone, you know, seeing so much death, you know what I mean? Can, it takes a toll on you mentally. You know, and anybody that says it, it, it doesn't, then they're lying. Like right now, like shit, I'm living out here like in the suburbs in LA. You know what I mean? Like these kids that, my kids, these kids, all these kids that go to these schools, right? They, they, they don't got to deal with that. You know what I mean? So to say that they're going to be, they're not going to be different human beings that's come from where I come from is, is a lie. You're going to be different. You know what I mean? You're going to turn out different. You're differently educated. You're, 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 your mental is different. Your outlook on life is different. Your respect for human life is different. You're going to be like, oh, no. Can't, you know what I mean? Like, you know, where I come from, you know, we trigger happy, dog. You know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes we don't think twice, you know, because we've seen we're, we're conditioned to death. So we're thinking like, all right, it's either me or this person in this situation all the time, you know? And when you're thinking like that all the time, you're going to have these incidents. That's why we can't get away from this stuff in rap right now, you know? But people dying, you know? Like, ain't no country singers dying. Ain't no pop singers dying. It's all rappers. It's right. been like 14 rappers dying like in the past five years. Yeah. This isn't a desirable job. It looked desirable. You think you're tough. You think you're tough you could get into this. But, the reason you got to be tough being in this is because we are all worse. Right. You got to either be tough, you got to have tough guys around you, you know, to do this. And I hate that. I hate that for us. 
but it's the truth. Yeah, my dad was in the civil rights movement, freedom rider, and all that stuff, and he has PTSD. I mean, he doesn't sleep through the night still, and I think that's just sort of it manifests in different ways when you're black in America. And I think we definitely don't talk about it enough when it comes to people just living in in the Gary, Indiana's, Jackson, Mississippi's, and all that stuff in our day. And I think one of the things I appreciate about you is you're eloquent about that experience, you know, and what it's like to sort of live with that, you know, and come through it on the other side. Two rapid fire questions uh, for you. And then one final question. All right. What's your favorite Spike Lee movie? Uh, my favorite Spike Lee movie. Because you give Spike Lee a nice little, a nice little shout out on the album. So favorite Spike I know, Lee I was, movie. It was jokes. I love Spike Lee. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite Spike Lee movie is Do the Right Thing. Because every character in Do the Right Thing, I knew him. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, Spike Lee, that's probably my favorite Do the Right Thing. For sure. And uh, what's your favorite Michael Jackson song? My favorite Michael Jackson song? What are you yeah. playing with me? I'm from Gary. I didn't have no favorite. Uh, probably Human Nature. Human Nature. Okay. All right. Definitely need something to calm you down there once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Final question. What's one song from another artist that you wish was yours? Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, one song from another artist that I wish was mine. My favorite rapper is Kodak Black. Really? Okay. I wish Super Grimmel was mine. Wow. Okay. That was, that's, that was my favorite song of the year. Number one song of the year, Grammy Award winner. It, that, I mean, that should be the Grammy Award winner for song of the year. Uh, Kodak should be rapper. Kodak, the best rapper in the game, period. So I love I love Kodak. Wow. That thing he does. Like, he's def- I'm definitely a super fan of Kodak. Well, man, Freddie, again, thank you so much uh, for being here. It's been a pleasure. And then, like, obviously, to have seen this front row seat for a lot of this from back then to now has just been incredible. I'm proud of you as an artist and everything that you've done. And all the incredible stuff, man. Thank everybody for listening to Rap Stories with Freddie Gibbs. It's 2019 classic bandana. I'm your host, David Dennis Jr. See you soon. This podcast is produced by Podville Media for Anscape, a Black-led media platform dedicated to creating, highlighting, and uplifting diverse Black stories. Anscape, where Blackness is infinite. Dina Morrison is the series producer. Our production team, Brittany Danielle, Rob Spiewak, Lenika Belfield-Martin, Ethan Sands, and Eli Nellis. The series was edited by Stephen Williams, Kelsey Johnson, and Rob Ford. Executive producers, Steve Reese, Elizabeth Elson, and Oscar Zabayos. Raina Kelly is Anscape's vice president and editor-in-chief. David Oku created the original artwork for the series. Special thanks to Tracy Smith, Mike Shahade, Rami Mogadam, Katie Lawson, Beth Stoikov, Anna Grambling, Ashley Melfi, John Gotti, Kelly Evans, Ryan Broadhead, and Kevin Wilson. And I'm your host, David Dennis Jr. Thank you for listening.